Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law. I'm a commentator for BBC Radio 5 Live and BT Sport in the UK. I'm joined by Catherine Whittaker, a presenter for Eurosport. Catherine carried it all on her own shoulders, didn't she, last week? Did the monologue podcast uh, whilst I was sunning myself in somewhere nice and beautiful, uh, which is rather different from the uh, windowless office of which I can touch all four walls in one go at where I'm sitting right now. Catherine has since been on holiday. We are back together. We are the Tennis Podcast. And Catherine, we have loads to talk about today because the Olympics is on. Never have the listeners been so pleased to hear the voice of David Law. People have been tuning in with trepidation, fearing another monologue. Uh, You you say that, Catherine, but I actually got a number of messages uh, saying, is there any chance you could not be on it? permanently because it was much better this week it was concise it was factual it was informative and there's too much faffing around when you're on right okay well yeah i mean minimal faffing minimal minimal fun as well but uh yeah i I was pleased to be able to hold the fort while you were sunning yourself but i'm also very pleased that you're back Oh, thanks very much. Uh, should also say a big thank you to Tom UK Designer, one of our listeners who fixed the audio problem that we had. Uh, we've we've reloaded the show a couple of days ago, so it's there in its full glory. If you'd like to listen to it, we had one or two technical problems a week ago, but it is now fixed. Uh, Catherine, so Olympic tennis, yes or no? Oh yes, yes to everything Olympic uh, for me. I think the Olympics is the most magical sporting event one of the most magical events uh we have in the world it's it's just an absolute joy i i'm feasting on it i'm triple screening i can't get enough of tennis of every sport um i am in i'm buying every bit of rio olympic based memorabilia i've made sausage rolls with little cocktail sticks with flags on them i mean i go all out for the olympics i really do i think Where, it's, why have not when when were you eating these just sort of constantly on a roll on a roll it started london 2012 we made them we made them for the uh, opening ceremony for london 2012 and they they're little little flags with the face of gb athletes on uh, Andy Murray has his own little uh, little cocktail stick with a flag on. I think the sausage roll attached to it might have already been eaten, but the flag the flag still exists. Um, 
yeah, so I mean, I I just think the Olympics is marvelous. I cannot believe that everybody that decided not to go, tennis players, golfers, haven't been watching it feeling a little pang of I wish I was there because I, I just don't understand how you couldn't. I understand the argument that if the sport, if Olympic gold isn't the pinnacle of your sport, then it shouldn't be Olympics. But then it's within the sport's control. It's within the player's control, whether it's the pinnacle of your sport, isn't it? I mean, look at how tennis has been building as an Olympic sport. I, I feel like it was getting there, getting towards being perhaps not the single pinnacle, but an equal pinnacle with Grand Slams. And, and I feel like some players' decisions have set that back. So it's it's a self-fulfilling thing for me and I think absolutely yes 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 for the Olympics and tennis and golf as well I just think it needs needs everybody to come together and support it interesting um Catherine the uh the the tennis at the Olympics for me I I I do love it I I have to say there's there's been quite a few people making the case that perhaps the format of the tennis should be different to to what it is and should maybe be team oriented and uh in in a slightly different way than what feels just like a sort of normal grand slam in in terms of singles uh doubles mixed doubles goals for each um I, I, I kind of I, I can't, I'm kind of with that in terms of a, maybe a differentiating a little a little bit but then we we started the tournament and all the memories came back from Olympics from years gone by and just how unusual it is even though it's it, it's you know it's a bit like in in football when you start the FA Cup and the League Cup uh, as opposed to the league matches you get these upsets and the same tends to happen at the Olympics now 2012 didn't that didn't happen all the big names got to the latter stages you had Sharapova against Serena you had Roger Federer against Andy Murray with Novak Djokovic in in the uh, the semis against Del Potro so that kind of was a much more standard set of results but if you go back over the years I remember watching in 1992 when Jim Courier was the absolutely dominant player in tennis and he got thrashed uh, I think it was by the eventual champion Mark Rosse Mark Rosse won the Olympic gold Nicola Mahu won the Olympic gold in two 2004 and then this year what did I say oh well maybe Nicola Mahu will win it this year is he even in it I don't know I don't even singles no (laughs) that's how shocking it was Catherine I didn't even get get the guy's name right, Nicholas Mahu and uh, the man from Chile won singles and doubles gold and what happened earlier this week? It was Sunday night, wasn't it? And it's the night I got back from my holiday. I was supposed to go to bed at eleven o'clock. I thought I'll just stick it on for a bit. I'll just put it on for a little while. I was still there five hours later, watching in the early hours of the morning because we lost the Williams sisters, we lost the Murray brothers, we lost uh, Mahu or Masu and um, and Herbert. I wonder what Nicola Masu's doing these days. Uh, anyway, he's still dining out on 2004 probably. But then we lost Novak Djokovic and on one count that was an enormous shock. And then when you actually looked at the way that one Martin Del Potro was playing against him, this was this was rolling back the years. Or, he was or hitting... when you actually listened back to my podcast last week when I said that he's there for the beating. But, you know, yeah, it's just... Just get that in there. Well, you were a bit lucky on that one, I thought. Um, but the, the the fact that Del Potro produced that level of tennis was was mind boggling. I mean, he was he was knocking Djokovic off his feet. There was nothing Djokovic could do. There was a moment when 
I suddenly thought, I don't. There is nothing human that could stop this force right now. The way that Del Potro is hitting this ball, there is nobody else who hits it like that. Yeah, he's so developed a way of of minimising the impact of his depleted power on the backhand side, hasn't he? I mean, I think it's improving. I think it will never get back to where it was, the backhand. But he's he's developing ways to compensate, even more so than before. Of course, his forehand was an enormous weapon before, but now it's having to to do the work that the backhand can't. And it's it's stepping up. It, it's up to the challenge or certainly, you know, what remains to be seen with Del Potro is whether he can, you know, do it all back to back to back throughout a tournament. You know, that's what he was unable to do at Wimbledon, lost in, uh, was it four or five sets to Luca Pui in the following match after uh, after beating Vavrinka in the second round. So that's what remains to be seen with him. But we, we know now, we know for sure that he can perform at the top level on any given day. And that's, that's wonderful. You know, listen back to our Wimbledon podcast after that upset over Vavrinka. Everybody was really emotional about that. I mean, obviously Del Potro was emotional. Um, I remember him in Madrid coming in after he'd just got one single win, being really emotional. He had tears in his eyes in the press conference. This is all, I think, territory that Del Potro didn't necessarily expect or definitely didn't expect I think he dreamed of it but I never think I don't think he ever expected or possibly even really dreamed about the moment he experienced on Sunday and didn't that show you know he was crying in the mix zone Djokovic was sobbing as he left the court it was I mean you just you couldn't have ripped written a script for higher drama and the fact that you had simultaneously the Murray brothers losing to the Brazilian pairing in front of the most incredible carnival atmosphere happening at exactly the same time I must point out that I wasn't even able to watch all of this I was listening uh, via the BBC Radio 5 live app thank goodness for the BBC Radio 5 live app on quite dodgy 3G through a USB carport in uh, the States driving from San Diego to Los Angeles not probably my best uh driving uh, so cross-court backhands were, were, were seeing you swerve to your right my goodness me was uh was it tense i mean you didn't you didn't want to be on an eight lane highway while, while that was happening trust me and yet that's exactly where i found myself and uh yeah i mean it, it was it was it, i i i'm glad i wasn't the bbc radio five live producer at that moment having to make decisions about where to go and at what moment because just the tennis it was difficult enough to make decisions about where to go and how long to stay there but they had about 15 other dramatic sports going on at exactly the same time and obviously as always they did a fantastic job uh but oh my goodness it was it was quite something to experience just via updates on the radio i've subsequently Rewatched uh, the the Djokovic Del Potro match uh, via a, a stream, but yeah, just to experience it that way was dramatic enough. Let alone you having the ordeal of watching it. It was it was a treat, I have to say, to watch every ball of that. But both in terms of the tennis and then the emotion at the end. I mean, it was it was pretty heartbreaking to watch 
the way Djokovic reacted, leaving the court, and and you got the sense that, well, he, he's thinking, Am I, I may never win this now. I mean, he's at his absolute peak right now. He couldn't win it. It's a bit like when Federer failed to do so in 04 and, and 08, and, and it, it was kind of like, singles-wise at least, chance gone. That's probably why the doubles meant so much to, to Federer back then. Um, Djokovic now... Where is he? I mean, where is he? Where is Serena Williams? She's gone out in 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 the early stages as well. She, I watched that match last night. She did not look fully fit. She she the the word is that she's got some kind of shoulder problem. She looked under the weather as well. I'm hearing from Craig Gabriel, our, our, our colleague, uh, who's over there, saying that, that that her voice was husky in the press conference and she didn't seem very well. Uh, Djokovic looked pale, looked drained, and. He's now withdrawn from Cincinnati uh, with a wrist problem, he's cited, which, I, you know, I, I remember thinking well, it, immediately I, after I, after Djokovic lost that match, I'm thinking immediately, all oh, right, well, Djokovic will go out and complete the Masters slam that he's been after by winning Cincinnati finally, and he's not playing. I mean, they, they, these are worrying moments for those two. They are. I mean, to deal with Serena first, I mean, she won the French Open last year being really under the weather. I mean, I remember thinking it at, at the time. She didn't talk about it. She wouldn't be drawn on it. But I I, I, uh, I was in several of her press conferences and it was clear from just the sound of her voice that she was quite ill throughout that tournament. And subsequently, we've seen in, in the documentary which followed her throughout that tournament, she was very, very ill and she still she still won the French Open. So just being under the weather... Uh, isn't necessarily enough to stop Serena. The shoulder problem, though, is definitely a worry, um, and uh, it would it would be a desperate shame if injury would be what came between her and history in New York. I think uh, so. I just I just hope she's fit for New York. Whatever happens, I just hope she's fit and can give it everything. But it's an enormous question mark at the moment in terms of Djokovic I thought he looked pale and drained in Toronto last week or the week before last honestly I I really do think he lucky isn't fair he wasn't lucky to win it he was the the beneficiary of some some choking really by a couple of his opponents as I said in my in my monologue last week they played the reputation of Djokovic they played the Djokovic they used to finding at the other end of the court they didn't actually play the guy that was in front of them which was a guy that was hitting really quite slow second serves um, a guy that wasn't hitting with the same penetration and depth from the baseline, I thought, certainly not with the same consistency. You know, had Djokovic last week come up against just somebody that, that believed, you know, whether that would have been Andy Murray, it's, who's to say Andy Murray would, would believe? You know, he's taken some very hard beatings in crucial moments from Djokovic. Maybe he wouldn't have the belief and maybe, you know, it was enough to carry him through in Toronto. It wasn't uh, in Rio. Sometimes that will be enough to carry him through that, you know, his slightly less than best is still very, very good. Plus that Lockery Mora, a lot of the time that will carry him through. Didn't in Rio, and it's going to be very interesting, as you say. I, I it, it won't have been an, a, an easy decision for him to withdraw from Cincinnati because, as you say, that completing winning all the nine Masters series that is something that nobody's ever done in tennis, and that will be a big, big goal for him. And yes, he's got a few years left for sure. But he is 29 now. He's not quite at the stage where he can just say, 
oh, of course it will happen at some stage. It probably win. I he, it probably will. I would definitely, if I had to back one way or the other, I'd say he will win Cincinnati at some stage in his career, probably next year. But he can't just assume it will happen. And I do believe that will be a goal for him. So I don't think he'll have taken the decision lightly. His statement, I think, is quite interesting. We're all assuming it's that wrist injury. He doesn't actually specify that it's the wrist injury. He says he's taking some time out to to generally recover. He, he mentions a recurring injury. He doesn't say anything more specific than that. We, well, Cincinnati have said it's the left wrist injury. But Djokovic himself hasn't. Which is, I mean, if, if, uh, we can only if we can cite, only presume if they are it, citing it. Then, we can only then, presume that it is. But uh, it, I find it interesting that he hasn't specifically that he said that. Yeah, but the tournament have said it is officially, and so he would have had to cite that uh, to the authorities. He would have done, yeah. But why not mention it in his statement? Anyway, I just think. Well, I suppose it is very similar to Serena. It is just an enormous question mark. It's just an enormous question mark. And um, again, I, I would like to see him go into the USA. I just don't want injury to be what prevents him having... The, you know, I want Andy Murray, the the new Wimbledon champion, Andy Murray, to be tested against a fully fit Novak Djokovic now. I want, I w- I want to see, you know, we won't see Roger Federer, which is already a slight dint in the tournament, but I, I want Djokovic to be fully fit and I want everybody to be able to test themselves against the Djokovic that we, we've we come to know over the last year or so because that's the benchmark for tennis, isn't it, at the moment? So it would be a shame. Uh, but he's got plenty of time still to get fit. Uh, we, do, we just don't have enough information about that in- injury to know whether it is enough time. But he, he does have... What, three weeks now still? So, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed indeed. Uh, Now, I did ask uh, what you all thought. Uh, Will he win the US Open now, given all that's happened recently? 26% say that Djokovic will win the US Open. 74% think he won't. Uh, 573 votes have already come in for that. We will have pole vault, everybody. Catherine Whitaker cannot get away from this. Pole axed. Forget that. Pole, pole vault will return. And I tell you what, we've got about 20 of them. Uh, so we'll have those at the end of the show, which means, Catherine, you can just sort of knock off beforehand if you want. Yep, done. Yep. Offer accepted. Okay. Fine. And that'll, that'll be 10 minutes at the end. So we've got about another two minutes left to talk about everything else before we get on to pole vault, Catherine. All right? Yep. Okay. Uh, so um, before we do that, um, just that that match in itself and the atmosphere that is created at the Olympics, uh, the tennis there, what, what I particularly enjoy is, is, is just sampling what feels like a different atmosphere, something that I personally don't think that I've ever had before uh, as, as a tennis viewer of players hitting winners and getting booed. And that has happened this week. Dustin Brown, one of the most dramatic and exciting players that's ever played the game, is getting was getting booed the other day because he was hitting amazing shots against a Brazilian, presumably. Thomas Indeed, Pellut, yeah, uh, yeah. It's amazing. It, uh, I I love how partisan the crowd are. For me, for me, that doesn't bother me. I mean, it was extraordinary uh, the Murray brothers doubles match. Uh, against Andre Sarr and Thomas Bellucci, wasn't it? The atmosphere of that. I mean, it was it was definitely coming across down down the radio waves. I, uh, I can only imagine what it was like uh, to watch live. Um, very difficult for them to come up against just Brazilians inspired by playing in front of their home fans. I've heard a few um, 
Brazilian commentators and and the like on various bits of Olympic coverage this week talking about how well in fact I heard I heard it put as strongly as Brazilians don't love sport they love winning I've actually heard that phrase used a lot you know they are even more partisan than than other crowds you might find at, at, at similar events because they just they're not actually necessarily that interested in just the festival of sport. They want to win desperately. If they're not winning, that surprises they're me not that interested. It surprised me as well. But but uh, but I, I think I've heard it. I've heard it talked about in the context of the crowds, perhaps not being so good at events where there isn't that much Brazilian interest. I think. I mean, generally, crowds have been pretty good, and at some events, they've been fantastic. But obviously, inevitably, there's a lot of tension. Attention on, well, there's attention on everything at the Olympics, and one of those things is uh, how big the crowds are. And at some of the events, the crowds have looked a little bit sparse. And the explanation I've heard is that they're not that interested if there's no Brazilian, if there's no prospect of a Brazilian getting a medal or doing well. They're not overly fussed but that's probably overstating it a bit and I'm sure they'll they'll come round as pretty much everyone in the UK did during the London Olympics but uh yeah they they're incredibly partisan I think it adds to it all really actually reading incidentally that uh, the delay continues at the tennis and people are talking about how Nadal in theory is supposed to play three matches today and they haven't even started uh, before four o'clock local time I mean they've got quite the backlog uh, to get through there and we will see whether Nadal can cope with all of the demands that are going to be placed on him now the uh, the, the draws as they stand Catherine given obviously all the rain as well that adds another element to it it is interesting, isn't it? And with Serena Williams having lost in the women's draw, there's there's that section of the draw. I was looking a little bit earlier uh, at, um, at the the plights of the 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 K quartet. I think I might be able to call them of uh, Keys, Kasatkina, Kerber, and Conta, who are all in uh, the lower half of the draw, right at the bottom there. And so you've got Keys against Kasatkina, and then you've got Conta against Kerber at the bottom there. Somebody is going to win big here, win the gold medal, and we're going to get a surprise semi-finalist at the very least because you've got Svitolina against Kvitova uh, you've then got Puig against Sigmund uh, then Kies Kazakina and Konta Kerber oh, crikey say that quickly uh, so it's um, it's it's fascinating isn't it I mean who's going to come through somebody's going to make a name for themselves here they really are well Joe Konta has a chance to uh, avenge her loss to Kerber at the Australian Open I think it's a tough ask but if if anybody doubts how life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop 
dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. How much he wants it, just go and watch the match she played against Kuznetsova yesterday because that was quite something. Uh, I thought she'd lost it on a couple of occasions. She needed two attempts to serve it out, as she often does. But and and when she loses, when she fails to serve it out at the first attempt, you think, oh gosh, it's all going to collapse here. You know, she's she's not going to cope with that mentally. And then she comes back strong, and and she does it at the second time. She creates another opportunity for herself, and she does it at the second time of asking. I was so impressed with her yesterday. I I think she'll probably come up just a bit short against Angelique Kerber. Uh, and then Keys Kazakina. Oh, I really That's like... almost like one of my favourite matches in tennis right now on paper. Keys against Kazakina. Those are two players that I absolutely love watching play against anybody. Young, totally different styles, richly talented. One, one sort of one Martin Del Potro type player against an artist in Kazakina. And... I think they could have some fantastic matches in the years to come. Yeah, I I think so. Well, I completely agree with all of that. They are both fantastic for tennis. I'm so excited about Kazakina. Obviously, she hasn't had quite the stage that Keyes has had yet, but she's really getting there. I think tennis is one of the few sports where the Russian athletes aren't being booed. Uh, And I'm pleased to see that because I don't think it's deserved in tennis, might be deserved in some other sports, but uh, it's nice. It it would be really uncomfortable, I think, if if Russian tennis players were being booed. Um, Laura Siegmund, Monica Puig. I mean, I can't believe that one of those two uh, is going to come through. Fantastic opportunity. Uh, And then, yeah, Kvitova, Svitolina, she would have probably, well, definitely been expecting to play Serena Williams. So an enormous opportunity there. I think it's a really fantastic mix of the names you'd expect, although obviously not the one big name you'd expect, and some exciting, younger, unexpected prospects. I think it's a really nice mix of that. And I think... The latter stages are shaping up very nicely indeed, David. Indeed, and meanwhile, uh, with a Djokovic free draw, one made Martin Del Potro pleased to see from his perspective that he followed that up by beating Joao Sousa in in a very close match, but he won through. He's up against uh, Taro Daniel uh, of of Japan. He's having a uh, great win. Yeah, he had a win over Jack Sock, and then he beat Carl Edmund. Um, So... 
Del Potra has his chances there. Nadal's still there in that section. They could meet in the uh, in the semi-finals if they were both to get that far. Gael Monfils against Marin Cilic could be a good match. That's in the bottom half of of the draw. Nishikuri's in there as well. Um, with Fanini against Murray at the bottom of the draw. There's there's some good stuff coming out here, isn't there? Yeah, and one of Evgeny Donstoy and Steve Johnson is going to be an Olympic quarter-finalist, if not more. So that's that's the section of the draw you want to be in, uh, which is the section Andy Murray is in. Uh, yeah, Nishikori against Alberto Martin. I mean, Andre Martin, sorry. Uh, that's a pretty... That's a pretty good draw for him. And then, by contrast, you've got uh, Baron Cilic against Gael Monfils. I've picked Monfils to get a medal at this Olympics, um, which, yeah, is it, I'm sticking I'm sticking with that, despite this being a very, very tough third-round match for him. I am picking Monfils to get a medal. So you think Monfils will beat Cilic and then beat Nishikori? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. I really, I really think this. He's he's ripening. Gael Monfils. That doesn't sound awfully nice, does it? But I mean it. I mean it in a very positive way. I think he's ripening nicely. Um, I think he's had just the right amount of time to have a bit of recovery from Toronto, but still continue his incredible role. I don't know what he's doing with Michael Tealstrom because he won't tell anyone. But whatever it is, it's working. Sure is working. Uh, Andy Murray against Fabio Fanini. Just a word on Fanini, who had to come from a set down and won a second set tie break against Estrella Burgos to eventually come through in the first round. Then he plays Benoit Paire and wins seven six in the third. Then about five minutes later, Benoit Paire, we're hearing, is being thrown out of the French team for something or other. Don't even know the details of that. But uh, Arnaud Di Pascal, who's the the, the team captain, uh, announced that you know he's had enough warnings and he's out behavioural uh, Pas- reasons yeah De Pascal incidentally it'd be pretty Do you remember- annoying for Fabio Fanini if he'd lost to Benoit Pair and then Pair had subsequently been thrown out of the Olympics <laughs> he so- wouldn't have been thrown out though would he <laughs> I well, don't know maybe well, who knows who knows Di Pascal incidentally the the, uh, the team chief of, of France do you remember Di Pascal playing against Federer in the bronze medal match in 2000 at the Sydney Olympics do you remember that I do and who won? Arnaud Di Pasquale. He did. He did. That was an amazing moment. That was when I was still trying to tell anybody who would listen that Roger Federer is going to be the next big thing. And, and I was getting lots of eye rolls. Speaking of which, what happened to uh, Grigor Dimitrov in the first who? round this week? Yeah. Didn't go particularly brilliantly, did it? Let's move on. Um, so that's that's that. And uh, also, we were mentioning the uh, the mixed doubles is just about to start. Andy Murray couldn't even get in the mixed doubles team uh, alongside Heather Watson. He was hoping to play. Well, with. he, he um, deferred his place to Jamie, didn't he? Which oh, is, right. Well, uh, there's only a 16 draw in the mixed doubles, so one uh, team per country. Uh, so and Andy, well, Andy and Jamie had to decide who would take up that mantle for the men and Andy said he was always going to defer to Jamie I see. So Johanna Conta alongside uh, Jamie Murray, they take on Bethany Matic, Sands and Jack Sock. I bet that's going to be a formidable team as well. Those two can play some doubles. You've got Muguruza alongside Nadal. Crikey! Imagine trying to beat those two. So there's uh, there's loads still to look forward to in the tennis if they ever get back out on the court because it is soggy and it looks as though we're going to have a bit of a delay still to come some more uh now Catherine Roger Federer you touched on a week ago in your in your solo podcast and you gave your your views on Roger Federer and whether 
what sort of comeback you you think he might eventually produce i mean it's uh I, we've never seen anything like this before from Roger Federer have we that's the the thing that stands out f- for me above all else is is this just does not happen and the the theory is the the suspicion is that that it was something that was worsened when he he took that fall uh, against Milos Raonic and and was that that sort of really uncomfortable moment when he when he got up and you just thought he doesn't quite look right here. Um, I've asked. We'll have a, a quick preview of Pole Vault. We'll have more later, folks. Uh, but a quick preview of it. 796 people have voted in this ongoing poll, of um, which, which asked the question, in 2017, Roger Federer will return and either A, contend for slams, B, break down again, C, start his farewell year, or D, retire immediately. So uh, you know that's that's what we asked. Uh, what, what what do you think? Is there not an E of come back and be pretty good, but not quite be contending for slams? No, there isn't. I think it could be that. I think it could okay. be generally come back and be really quite good. You know, reaching quarterfinals and so on, not contending for slams, but could still have one run left in him. Interesting. Well, the, the the results were 56%. More than half of those 796 people say that he will start his farewell year. Uh, 29% think he will contend for slams again. 10% think he'll break down again. And 5% think he'll retire immediately. I I I know what you mean. I, I, I don't necessarily think next year will be his last because I just think counting Roger Federer out... It's just it just feels like a dangerous game to me. I, I think maybe he's got two more years. I think I think I think you may well be right, you know. I think he may come back, do okay, not reach the heights he wants and then decide, right, now I'll have a farewell year in twenty eighteen. I just I think if that was his intention now, I think he would tell us. I, I don't see why he would put up the pretense of saying I'm taking this time out to try and get myself as fit as I can be to have another assault at, at, at the tour and, and winning another slam. I don't know why there would be that pretense. That- I think he might he might decide to try to make a proper go of it for next year, get himself fit, but get to the end of the year and think, this isn't going to happen. Yeah, and, and, I, you know. yeah I, think, I think that's entirely possible. I just don't think that's in his mind now. I, I take him at no. his word what he's saying now. There's a lot of time between now and the end of the year. He doesn't know how the, the knee rehab's going to go. He, you know, who knows what tennis will look like at the end of the year. Uh, so, yeah, but as things stand at the moment, I think he will come back. I don't think he will come back intending it to be a farewell year. Uh, and I think my my best guess is that he he won't quite be he'll have lost a little bit of ground he'll still be pretty good but he might still just have one run left in him maybe at Wimbledon. Bit of coaching news, Catherine. Bit of coaching news. Goran Ivanisevic is back on the tour. I think you said two weeks ago this guy is not going to be able to stay off the tour for long. Yeah, I reckon um, he accepted the first phone call that came his way. But it just no, beat no. everyone first, else the first, to the punch. The, the first phone call that came his way was from me. I can <laughs> guarantee you it didn't happen. So I tried. I, I put on the full sales pitch. I said, look, all I want to do is beat Catherine. 
He's like, you, you've got no chance, pal. Forget it. Uh, so anyway, he's gone for Thomas Burdick instead. And uh, I mean, I, I think that's an absolutely fascinating combination. Goran Ivanisevic and Thomas Burdick. He, he's basically back where he was two and a half years ago, Goran, isn't he? Uh, alongside a player who feels as though he's still got untapped potential, still hasn't won a slam yet. Most people thinking he never will win a slam, and 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 we would include ourselves. I certainly would, amongst those, of thinking that Burdick is not going to win a slam. But I would have said that about Chilich too. And he took him. He helped him to the U.S. Open title. Will it work? Yeah, I, I think it's a really, I, it's it's risky, but I think it's a it's a pleasing risk to see Thomas Burdick taking. And I think you know he's thirty now. He needs to be taking a risk and uh, I think I said at Wimbledon that's one of the toughest gigs in tennis the Thomas Burdick coaching job and I think Goran if anyone is is up to it it's another massive contrast in personalities but uh, that wasn't an issue with Marin Cilic but then he'd known Marin Cilic for a very very long time they knew how their personalities gelled together I don't think Burdick and Goran do Maybe they do. I don't know. I don't know how much they've got to know one another from Goran being back on tour. So I could I could be wrong there, uh, but it's certainly going to be very interesting. And I think when I say I think it'll work, I don't necessarily think that'll mean a Grand Slam title for Thomas Burdick, but I think it's probably as as good a thing to try as any. You know, honestly, I think what he will do is exactly what he did with Chilich and try to slightly. Uh, rejig his service action a little bit using the, the the know-how that Goran has but most of all I think he will say to Thomas Burdick you are six feet five inches tall you are built like a brick house I've left a word out there and I want to see you hitting the ball like a big man a big man because that is what you are. I want to see you dominate people. I want to see you unload into the ball like Del Potro does. And I want you to knock your opponents off the court, mate. All right? And that's I want you, what he's going to send him out to believe. do. I think, I think, for me, that's that's the most important thing at this stage now of Burdick's career. He is walking onto the court with too much baggage against these big guys. He should have beaten Novak Djokovic in Toronto. He had so many opportunities. And I, I don't use the word choke lightly because it is a brutal, horrible word. But, I mean, it, he had there was he had three set points in that first set. One was a double fault and two, he fluffed forehand putaways that he could make in his sleep. I mean, he really, really did... He blew it completely. Djokovic was there for the taking and he didn't believe. And, and Goran needs to look at the tape of that and say, you know, if I could go into my fourth Wimbledon final as a wild card, age 30, and well, 29 he was, wasn't he? 29, 30? And I still believed that I could win that Wimbledon, then you, you need to believe that you can still win a Grand Slam and that you can still beat these top players. That, for me, is crucial. I would agree with that. Catherine, can you just stick around for a few minutes for pole vault? Go on. Silently. I'll stick around silently. My, right, I, my presence will be felt through the airwaves, just not Here audibly. we go. I'll try, I'll try to engage you, everybody. Uh, so, f- first of all, in the pole vault, we asked Burdick to work with Ivan Izovic. Goran helped Chilich to a first slam. Will he do it for Thomas Burdick? You said yes only 12% of the times. 12% of the people who voted 
think that Burdick will win a, a Grand Slam but under Goran Ivanovic. It's not a nuanced enough question, David. As I said, I've, uh, I it's think a brilliant it's, question. It's, it's, if, it, if the question was, is it a good appointment? I think you would have had majority. Yes. Is it going to win him a Grand Slam? Majority, no. Well, it's too wishy-washy, isn't it? A good appointment. This is very specific. Is it going to actually lead to a Grand Slam title? That's what's important. OK, I'm going to go back to being silent. Pole vault. Well, I'm the expert. We'll have pole accident a bit. Uh, anyway, so we've got the Williams sisters, Murray Brothers, Djokovic and Eber Mau going out on the same day. Is that the biggest day of upsets ever? 69% said yes. 31% said no. And a lot of people reminding of that. I think it was the first Wednesday at Wimbledon about three years ago when, when Federer lost to Stokowski and, uh, and Nadal went out as well. Um, and I think we lost some of the, the top female players as well. So, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult one, but it's, it, it felt at the time as though it was one of the biggest days of, of upsets that, that I've certainly ever seen. In fact, well, Catherine... Well, I mean, the stats speak three top seeds. So the men's doubles top seed, the men's top seed, the women's top seed, and the second seed in the men's doubles. That, I don't think that's ever happened before. That speaks for itself. Quite an interesting uh, little chat I had with Ali, who uh, follows us on Twitter and is a regular listener to the Tennis Podcast, always comes up with some some insightful views and and took me to task on including the Murray brothers in that uh, equation, saying that really they they are not that big of a shock. They were the second seeds. Well, they won a Davis Cup title together. Jamie Murray is, well, he's not quite doubles world number one at the moment but he's, he's very close to it and has been there. And Andy Murray's the second. I mean, no, Ali, no. That is a big shock. Ali, have your say. It's Return, not a, it's not Return as big, fire. It's not as big a shock as Herbert Mahou. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. That's, that's massive. Talking of talking to Catherine Whittaker, I mean, you know, Catherine hates pole vault. However, she did inspire one of the best pole vaults of the entire week so far. When she I'm was never asking, doing it again. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. Do it again, Catherine. When she asked, uh, now that uh, uh, Novak Djokovic has lost at the Olympics and can't play it again until Tokyo in 2020, who is the most likely to do the golden career Grand Slam? out of Djokovic, who's won all four majors but not the Olympics, and Andy Murray, who's won Olympics and two of the majors, but he hasn't won the Australian Open and he hasn't won the French Open. That's what Catherine asked, or at least she asked it sort of innocently, and I immediately lifted it for for part of Paul. And I, all I got was an onslaught of people saying, how dare you compare the career of Andy Murray to Novak Djokovic? Uh, and, um, it just Incidentally, what, 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 what were the arguments that people were making? I mean, I don't I don't really see the problem. I said Novak Djokovic will be 33 at the time of the Tokyo Olympics. So what is more likely? Essentially, Andy Murray winning a French Open and an Australian Open at some point before he retires or Novak Djokovic winning the Tokyo Olympics aged 33? What do you think out of interest? I don't think either are highly likely. Uh, I think both will would be a just monumental effort, but I think marginally, I think Andy Murray winning an Australian and French Open is slightly more likely. He's reached finals of both. I can't believe that he won't win an Australian Open before he retires. I can't believe that. And I think there's a 
far greater question mark about where Djokovic and tennis will be in the next four years than there is over whether Andy Murray will be in contention for an Australian Open and a French Open in the next couple of years. And when he has so many chances at each of yeah, them, of course, I mean, and, and he's reached the final of both of them now. I, I would certainly say Murray is the more likely of the two myself, and 71% of those polled also felt the same. 71% said Murray more likely than, than Djokovic. Um, so that's that. Now we've got a couple more. La, 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 la. Catherine's enjoying it. And the final one we're going to go for is um, which of the which out of Novak Djokovic and Serena Williams will go all the way at the US Open? Serena, Novak, both, or neither? What do you think, Catherine? Oh, that's such a difficult question because we don't know. We don't know what shape they're in. We probably won't know until they play because I would be surprised now if Serena plays Cincinnati, although she hasn't formally withdrawn. Uh, we know Djokovic, but we know we won't see him before New York. So that's just an enormous question mark. For me, I'm 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 shooting in the dark here. For me, Andy Murray is the favourite to win the US Open as things stand at the moment, having seen what I saw in Toronto. Uh, and Serena, Serena's still still the favourite for me. Serena's still the favourite, but big question marks on both sides. Forty-nine percent say that neither of them will win the US Open. Twenty-nine percent say that Serena will. Only eleven percent think that Djokovic will on his own, but 11% think that they both will. So it's about 50-50 in terms of uh, of how well people think they'll do versus whether they won't win it at all, win it, either of them. So there we are, Catherine. There's pole vault for another week. Uh, we better go and watch some tennis because who knows, one day it may stop raining. I heard a lovely line from uh, John Murray, the, the BBC's football correspondent, who's also out there uh, doing five live work at the Olympics. And, and he said, uh, he was doing the rowing and he said, I, I, I am in Rio but I really feel as if I'm in Ramsgate. Oh, I heard it compared, compared to a, a rainy Saturday at Molyneux, David, earlier on the now, radio. Believe me, the, the clouds would be much darker <laughs> and the mood would be much worse. Um, I should should say that I'm a f- supporter of West Bromwich Albion, who are the biggest rivals of Wolverhampton Wanderers who play at Molyneux. Uh, so no offence, uh, Wolves fans, you know, I know you're going through a bit of a rough time. Uh, too bad is all I can say Catherine uh, lovely to talk to you nice to have you back from Toronto and San Diego and all these places that you've been to nice to be back nice to have someone else to podcast with isn't it isn't it Uh, we thank you for listening as always do uh, follow us on Twitter like us on Facebook and very importantly do leave us reviews on the iTunes uh, charts so that we can we can tell everybody how much you like it if you don't like it don't listen again go away and don't leave us a review but uh, frankly you'd have already switched off wouldn't you if that was the case we thank you for listening we'll speak to you soon 